recording. I am also recording. We're now live. I have started the stream on, I think, YouTube, so we should I, be I up and running. On, uh, I see it on Twitch. Oh, baby. Nice. YouTube. I see the I see that it's running on YouTube. I see an yeah, FPS. Yeah, we're also running on YouTube. Oh my right. God! Look, we did this. We didn't even first try. <laughs> Not even close. Okay, that's all I have to say. <laughs> all right. Well, with that, I'm gonna say uh, hello. Welcome to Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host Mango, and I am your co-host Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the finals. Before we do that, buddy, why don't you show the folks what it is we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we like to talk about games. Uh, And, you know, listen, it has been a long time, okay? But in a weird way, I think of this as an origin story. I think of of you as being, in in a certain sense, like the spark that lit the fire, the the match, the very tiny fire that is sometimes talking about games, buddy. Uh, Why don't you introduce yourself to the folks at home? Well, I appreciate that, man. That's awesome. No, it's, it's great to be back uh name's monic uh i have been playing video games with both of you for years probably a little bit longer <laughs> with mango a lot of fun stories playing fps's everything from waiting out in the cold for call of duty to playing long nights of PUBG. um yeah man i'm excited to be back i am always surprised at how many hours i put into PUBG. i like i think of myself as not having played a lot of PUBG, but then i'll look on steam and i'm like i really paid 120 hours of this like yeah it was a be- it was a beautiful time it really was a different it really was a different time okay it's like but, where are we dropping boys i Rose guess back. we're talking about yeah every time <laughs> i guess we're talking about the finals which is the new fps from nexon um you know nexon south korea publisher right down the street from my house randomly enough their their offices are like two miles that way um and uh and they they put out a public beta mega you talked about it in the back half a couple of weeks ago and then at the game awards which i went to um at the game awards they announced that the game was out shadow dropped it's live we can we can just play it um and so we've been you know we've been touching base we've been we've been getting it getting our matches in i guess i don't know where do you want to start what, what do you, what's your high level view of uh of the finals yeah, so I'm I'm very much enjoying it. I will say that I find the name infuriating. Like every time I'm trying to pitch it to someone, they're like, "What?" It's like the name of the game is the finals. Um, but, we uh, get to the finals in the finals. Yeah, multiple yes, times. Well, yeah, multiple times actually. We haven't been able to clinch it yet, but um, uh, it's uh, it to me, it's like the the meme I've been saying is like if Overwatch was good, which is obviously a little bit more aggressive, but um, uh. I kind of feel that way. It's it's a fun competitive shooter with uh, some very cool elements. Although I, the more I play, the more I see things like sliding into a, a a meta that I am less happy about from a personal perspective. But it but it makes sense to me. Um, and it's just kind of like scratch niche that I've had for a while that like COD wasn't scratching for for instance. Monica, what, what do you think? What's your highlight? Yeah, I mean, I, I could. T- uh, I mean, I I really love the game. I played a bit of it in the beta, so I was really anticipating the release because I feel like it was such a breath of fresh air compared to FPSs I've played for the past five, six years. And like when I think about it, it feels like a pretty amazing synthesis of FPS innovation over the past five years. And like the like how, how I, my framework of how I think about some of the FPS innovation is like, you have all of these round-based shooters, right? And, and you have subcategories where you have more tactical round-based shooters, like let's say CSGO, then you have, or like, Rainbow Six Siege, then you have subcategories of more arcadey round-based shooters like COD, or you have hero-based, you know, team-oriented 
round-based shooters like Overwatch and Valorant, which like Overwatch skews more towards ability-based mm-hmm. and Valorant skews more, more towards gunplay. And I feel like in those round-based, that high-level category of round-based shooter and team dynamics, like you always have around usually one to two teams, not more than that. And you have one discrete objective in that round. And then I think you have this other big trend, which is kind of the emergent battle royale category, right? And you have, again, this like bifurcation of like tactical and then this influence of hero base where you have the PUBGs of the world. And then you also have the, you know, the Fortnites and Apexes of the world. And, and I feel like what the finals has done really well is you still have the beauty of the battle royale experience. And I, I liken it to the, like the emotional narrative arc player feels in a battle royale where in a battle royale, you have like a true narrative arc. You have like the exposition or looting shit. You're, you're trying to like figure out the game world. You're figuring out where your team's dropping and you're planning. And then you have maybe a couple of engagements and then you actually have a climax at the end where you either die or you win on a singular engagement. And I feel like you don't have you. Can, the player can't build that big narrative arc where like you can actually build tension in a round base shooter, which is why I feel like those battle royales picked up so much because you just feel more in a in a match of a battle royale, which I really loved. Uh, and I feel like I guess my my um, analysis of the finals is it gives you opportunities to have that narrative arc uh, frequently, where you have consistent engagements, con- consistent climaxes in this objective-based cash-out mode. But at the same time, it's strategic and almost round-based, and you still have this longer arc of a tournament mode where those also feel like uh, almost like a battle royale experience where you are trying to be the last one surviving in this tournament. So I think it's like a, a unique mix of these two big trends uh, that I I really think they nailed the formula. Yeah, uh, I definitely feel the the mix of the two of those. Because in a weird way, um, honestly, the thing that's been in my brain for like the longest time is that battle royales are FPS, are like PvP FPS roguelikes, essentially. Mm. Right? Um, <clears throat> and <clears throat> this doesn't have the, it, it doesn't have like the roguelike piece of it, um, which is like, you know, you enter with a set loadout, you know what your loadout is is and is going to be, right? Um, but it does weirdly kind of have that feeling of um, another, you know, like another, like just like one more run kind of thing. Right, um, right. Specifically because of the way the game has these specific mechanics around team wipes, right? When a team wipe happens, they force you not to trickle, right? It is technically a punishment, but it's also kind of a bonus because, like, so the yeah. other, you know, the other, the other version of this is I played a million hours of Overwatch, right? Overwatch Two. Um, <clears throat> the worst thing about Overwatch Two, your whole team dies, but they die 15 seconds from the first kill to the last kill, right? So the first yeah. person reses 15 seconds before the last person does, and then they walk in, and then they, and then they get, you know ganged up on and killed and now we're waiting for that person and it's like you you're, you're trickling right you're creating this yeah. like this trickle the right way to play overwatch is you wait for everybody to get there everybody to group up and then you go in kind of like 5v5 uh yeah. the finals forces that on you but in yeah. a, a sort of negative way in the sense that when 
two people die, their respawn counters start ticking. But if the third person dies, all, the whole team gets one uniform respawn counter and it resets to zero, right? Yeah. Um, so that's a punishment. It adds more respawn. It, res it, like, it completely resets your, your clock. But it actually also forces you to respawn as a group, as a team, right? Yeah. So that you don't run into those sorts of situations where you're just trickling over and over again. Um, because, you know, when that happens, you'll just get the team wipe and kind of like move forward um and so there's something about that piece of it that that like tickles i don't know like the roguelike piece of my brain where it's just like i don't feel i don't feel quite so bad when i when i die or when we wipe because we all just come back and we're right back in it together basically um yeah. and then it also tickles kind of that tactical strategic piece of my brain that i like from overwatch when it comes to you know like finding objectives defending you know there <clears throat> there are por portions of our play in the tournament mode where we are just we're at a cash out box and we just need to like hold hold up for a minute and fight right. everybody off. And that feels like, that feels like Overwatch to me. That feels like a lot of fun. And it's the kind of, you know, round-based tactical shooter, you know, insight that, that I'm kind of looking for. And so, um, I think I do. I think I probably do agree that it is maybe the most innovative, like PVP shooter I have seen in, I don't know, maybe since the original PUBG, to be honest. Yeah. So I, I, I think part of this too, is that, the game modes are all ones that require you to be active to win, right? Like compared to say an Overwatch or a Team Fortress 2, um, a lot of the the modes are either static or like in terms of like cart pushing. Right. Like one team is incentivized to stall, right? And like that can get that can bog down pretty heavily. And you're with with the finals, you're never in, including the the team respawn mechanic, right? You're never in a position where like it's just kind of like well, the defensive team is winning hard and they just need to hold out for their, like, 10 minutes and it's just like, fuck, right? Like, we've lost this, but we have to wait it out or, like, you know, do some sort of surrender mechanic. Yeah. Team, winning team is actively winning. And I think also the fact that there's um, uh, more than two teams per uh, per round except for the, the final of the finals yeah. um, uh, leads to a dynamic where it's, like, it is hard to to overwhelm and if you do over, and then in the final round, if you are overwhelming, you win with two cash outs, right? Like you just straight win, and so you can't ever be losing so hard that you get. This is the thing that that we talked about, buddy, previously when we talked about battle royales and why they were attractive, is that you know it resets quick. You get another round, and you don't have to think about it. And it's not quite as quick in this game, but it does. Um, it, it doesn't have the long drawn out defeats like you have in uh, you know, either like a round based type, type Counter Strike. Where you know you have to go through uh, at least a set of rounds, even if you're losing, or um, or like a you know a team-based objectives where you know one team wants to stall the other team out instead of both uh, aggressively pursuing the objective. Yeah, I think yeah. this has everything to do with the steel mechanic. To be honest with you, I was exactly. Yeah, because, that's exactly um, what I was thinking. Yeah, the the way that it works, just for folks who haven't played the game, is when you are essentially the game is about cashing out money, right? So you go, let's say you find a box. That box has a certain amount of money in it. You bring it to a cash out station, and then that cash out process takes time. Maybe it takes ten seconds. Maybe it takes a minute, right? But it takes a certain amount of time. And in that window, another team could show up kill all of us, right, and then intercept the cash out and steal it for themselves so that when the final tick of, you know, this minute-long process goes off, 
all of the money goes to them instead of all of the money kind of like coming to us. And I really don't know any other game that has a mechanic that is quite so like even in Overwatch, right? Like if I do a team kill in Overwatch, right, we're playing push or something like that, right? Um, it still takes me time to reset the robot. The robot has to go all the way to the other side. And it's not like I immediately get a bunch of progress for free, right? Maybe I do a team wipe. We get the, the robot into a push position. I make it five meters and then you know the the enemy team takes control again and i get kind of nothing but like if i get a team wipe in the finals on a cash box like a lot of the time that just results in a full steal i take all of the you know it it is a it is an all-in kind of um kind of way to score points yeah no i i 100 agree i feel it's again it's like this you have these multiple climax moments and you still have this weird interesting strategic gameplay like something in an overwatch we were defending but if you're the attacker in Overwatch, like he, I, I haven't played Overwatch enough, but it, in most of the modes, I feel like you don't have the ability to take something away from the player and just like like steal, uh, steal the objective or steal the win. And I think that moment-to-moment -moment gameplay that happens multiple times with multiple cash outs that also rotate across the map, um, which I think goes to the other big innovation, which is the environmental destructibility, where now you have, again, like... Uh, uh, a climax arc multiple times in one singular round while also having strategic play happening at the same time, which is pretty damn, pretty damn cool. Yeah, because you can do stuff like we've we encountered this a bunch, right? The cash out box is on the second floor and a guy with a sledgehammer on the first floor or right. like he plants an explosive charge to drop the floor out from under us. And now all of a sudden we're in the disadvantageous position and they have the box right in front of them, right? Um, or other sorts of things like just being able to, you know, crash through walls to open up new avenues to sort of um, attack to surprise people because they're just not expecting enemies to be coming from this way, right? There are multiple times yeah. where I definitely got owned because I was not expecting a heavy to be just like on the other side of this wall, that kind of a thing. And I think like that, that feature of environmental destructibility, like uh, going back to your commentary, buddy, on some of the hard decisions they've made from a game design perspective to almost elicit more team play, which is like teams responding together. I feel like when I play games like Apex Legends, where you have huge environment and ideally you should be playing with your team, if you get out of position with your team on that massive environment in any engagement, either in attack or defense or someone springing up or third partying you, unless you have a hero that has a clear movement ability, it's very hard to reposition and then play with your team even with the long TTK Apex has. And over here, I feel like with the map design, that's like a lot of verticality and the ability to destroy and change the environment on the fly, it's almost like you make your own engagement zones, which helps the player be more creative, which I think is like this interesting mastery angle of how to actually manipulate the environment in your favor. But also I think it gives a lot more tools for the players to play with their team and reposition. So I've never felt like in the finals where I'm just so completely out of left field from the team, unless I completely went on the other side of the map. But if we're playing around the similar area, I have multiple options to get to you relatively quickly in an engagement and not feel like I was just missing from action. And that's why we lost. Um, and I, I don't think you, I don't have that feel in uh, battle Royale games, even with movement abilities and apex, just by the sheer fact of uh, destructibility being a, a way to manipulate the environment and allow for repositioning, which I think helps the team play quite a bit. Yeah, no, no, that that makes that makes uh, a, a ton of sense. Like that, that is the other you know marquee feature of the game is is the destructible environments. Um, it's kind of taking a bunch of like, you know, because it's got like basically 
similar but not identical class identity to say Team Fortress 2, right? Mm. Uh, and a lot of it's actually similar mechanics there too, which is which is interesting to me. Um, with kind of like this like aggressive structure that's kind of like maybe Battle Royale inspired like we were talking about. Sure. And then this destructible element, which is like, it's the thing that I think keeps keeps the game feeling fresh across the same maps because there's not a ton of maps, right? Yeah. Um, and they're not super, super huge, like say the Apex map or like the Fortnite map. Yeah. Um, but um, I guess the Fortnite map is technically destructible too, but it's not like not in the same way, right? Like you don't think about it. Um, like you well, know, it's like environment manipulation on the opposite direction. It's like you build your environment versus just yeah, like you can destroy build a too, bunker, but... right? Rather than right. you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's also like real physics as opposed to like you know wonky, you know, cartoon, cartoon physics. physics. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like just crazy this constantly. But I mean, like going back to the hero and class system, like I actually think that was also an interesting decision because I feel like if we're looking at the lens of like monetization strategy. My feeling is, and this might be a hot take, but I think a, games like Overwatch or even Valorant, which are these hero-based shooters, I wonder in early design sessions, the choice to a hero-based shooter was made because of the fact that you have a much longer road for monetization on multiple heroes, cosmetics for each hero, skins for each hero, uh, voice lines for each hero, et cetera, et cetera, it kind of goes on at, uh, to infinity. And I think the, once you go down that path, I feel like the the competitive dynamic changes so much where it's harder for player readability in a match. Um, you know, if I go into a Valorant match right now uh, compared to, let's say, CSGO, and actually why I think Valorant has not been able to beat CSGO in a lot of ways is uh, since it requires a lot of mechanical skill and plays with those types of like tactical elements, but the kind of knowledge a player needs to actually engage competitively in a match is so high because there's so many fucking heroes and they yeah, keep coming yeah, out with more call of that, them. Uh, what's that called? Onboarding, right? The amount of knowledge yeah. that is required in order to like, you know, play up to sort of a, a um, I don't want to call it like a median skill oh, floor, but kind so of. even the, enjoy it, like I feel yeah, like. Yeah, because yeah. like, otherwise you feel like, I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong and I don't know what ability is killing me and I don't know how the ability manifests on the map. Yeah. And I feel like by limiting the class choice to three with very readable like profiles, very clear slots and roles, like I think they might have hurt themselves from a monetization standpoint because, yeah, you can add new weapons, new skins, but you don't have enough play space. I'm never going to care about that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. On, in Overwatch, I care about skin. Like something yeah, I've said too, in the yeah. podcast is I'll do the battle pass when it's a skin. I've done two of them. I did the Genji skin, the very first one, because I thought that was rad. And I did, I think, the third one or the fourth one because i was playing a lot of sigma i really liked sigma and it was a sigma skin and i was like this skin is baller as fuck i'm yeah. gonna play i'm gonna play overwatch this season basically um there's no way i would ever make that decision <laughs> about the finals because yeah, there's we no those costumes <laughs> yeah exactly. it's to, like dude. i i don't know it's just there's no um there's no personality there there right like there's nothing um there's nothing uh like there's no texture to to grab onto and i think yeah. that's why overwatch i mean like even now overwatch is the most reviled game on the planet like the most <laughs> poorly reviewed game on steam because of these review bombs um you know or whatever but let you see and i can't believe i'm making this reference but i saw it on twitter Pornhub put out like their top gaming things of the year and it's just a bunch of Overwatch characters people so clearly funny. like 
<laughs> these Overwatch <laughs> characters, and I just think that um, I think that uh, that's a little bit yeah. of what they're where they're shooting themselves in the foot, right? Uh, there's no uh, without characters, there's no there's no personalities to kind of connect to, and without those yeah. personalities, there's not that drive to be like I'm gonna buy a skin. Yeah, yeah no, that, that, that's interesting because Team Fortress Two, in an attempt to like keep the uh, the profiles readable, right? Like they famously did hats, right? Hats, right? right. Um, they were also out of loot boxes, which. Um, you know, is a thing that's the thankfully moving into the past. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it is kind of weird how much Team Fortress 2 gets a pass for having, you know, real money loot boxes that you right. could sell for dollars on like the internal <laughs> store, right? Like, yeah. Um, uh, uh, but, uh, uh, but, um, all the to your point though, the characters all had personalities, right? Even though it was the heavy, everybody knows, or you know, everybody who played the game knows the heavy is that a large Russian man who. I have yet to see a man who can outsmoke a bullet, right? <laughs> like, there are tons of memes from that era. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because even though they're they're generic characters, they are they have they were assigned personalities, um, right? Whereas the characters in the finals do not like, and even even the announcers like they are kind of like sports people, but they don't have the same like the the announcer in uh, Rumbleverse, um, uh, had a personality, uh, right? Uh, Skip Legarday, right? Like you know, he you you remember who he was, but like these are just kind of like they. I think one of them. Is, I think the woman's named Anna. I couldn't tell you. And like you've got like the basic sports stuff, but they don't have enough personality to even like yeah sell that on you. Yeah, like StarCraft, for instance, they sold announcers, right? That was one of their big things. Right. And so you yeah. could get like uh, I don't know, you could get like Alarak or or Artanis or you know Rainer to like voice your match. And I think that that was like a, a thing that they could kind of sell based on the personalities of these StarCraft characters, right? But yeah, I, I don't even think. I mean, the the announcers are also controversial in the finals because they are. Um, they're AI, right? Like, it's, yeah, there's a whole controversy on that. Yeah. I don't actually. I'm, I'm. I. I tried looking into this, but honestly, it just doesn't seem like there's any hard information because Steam has a really strict policy against AI stuff, right? Where they basically say unless you can prove that you owned the data, all of the data that this thing was trained on, you can't use AI in huh. a, in a game featured on the Steam store. For a voice, you just need the voice rights. So theoretically, they got voice actors to sign right. away vo their voice rights to make the AI announcers for the finals. That I that's fair enough by kind of Steam's ethical standards. Um, but there's a question of like, uh, is was that process ethical? That has hasn't been answered. I haven't been able to find people to actually you know talk about it because generally speaking, I'm looking at people who are actively invested in one side of the AI conversation or the other, and not really just like a fact finding mission. Uh, right. Because one of the things that has happened in the past is uh, voice actors have signed contracts that didn't have they call them AI writers right now. Um, that didn't have AI writers, and then the people uh, they signed the contract with fed the voice lines that they essentially bought into an into an AI, which the actor believes is a form of theft, right? The studio believes, hey, you sold me your voice for this thing. All I did was just kind of, you know, like in a certain right. mechanical sense, all I did was pass this through a filter that is not you know, whatever. And nobody, ha and I, I don't think anyone has really gotten to the bottom of where those two things kind of interact and if it happened in an ethical way when it comes to, when it comes to the finals. Yeah. So, so the, the thing about the, about the AI thing that's like weird to me is that it's not even being used in an interesting way. Yeah. Right? Like 
it would be interesting if like they were on the fly coming up with commentary but it's all it's all pre-generated right it's all static content that like like waveforms that are in the file um which is uh disappointing i guess right like if, if you're gonna go for ai i'd say at least like try and do something fun with it yeah because right? like you would think i mean one of the things i've been thinking about a lot to be honest with you since we got really into dark tide is how good the music in dark tide is and the sound design mm. in general but also just like the music because musical cues in the in the score will tell you what's going on is a right. horde approaching what kind of boss are you about to fight right are you you know like are you in some sort of danger right you can tell this this stuff because of the way that the game programs the music to kick in and fade out kind of thing this is also true yeah. of overwatch right you know at the very end of an overwatch match they kind of ramps up the music so it gets a thing overwatch might be the first example i can think of of a game that like dynamically messes with music levels in order to kind of heighten the feel of a match sort of thing yeah i feel like what i would want to do if i was the sound director or whatever the the voice director of the finals is use the ai in a very similar sort of way right where the ai isn't just you know making blase comments about the, like these stock team names right but you feed the ai information from the match such that it can tell you when you make a good play because it understands right or it can tell it can tell you uh important information because it can go read a, a like an enemy player's gamer tag do you know what i mean right. uh it doesn't really do it doesn't really do any of that stuff so it's kind of like yeah. why did you even bother yeah, for me, it's like accelerate more, like train this AI on FPS commentators on Twitch for the past like five <laughs> years and layer that on top of your gameplay and also give us AI voice for any team names we want. And like that would be fun. Like that, I think would be really cool. Yeah. Like how cool would it yeah. be if you walked into a match and it said, you know, the eternal tango, right? Unwise, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. As these, and the technology know. exists. Yes, exactly. I mean, I guess you would get like the um, the abuse cases where it would say a bunch yeah. of like racial slurs or whatever, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the, the naggers, right? Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we're, no. get, we're about to get banned Clip on that, Twitch. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll clip it. Um, yeah, I mean, that would have been really exciting. I, I mean, I feel like at least what they should do. Well, I mean, the the whole game show aesthetic. I'm curious what you both think about it. Like, I don't identify with it. The only things I like about it, I mean, they, they hard committed to the game show aesthetic, so I got to give them props for like, I, like almost every design, like aesthetic decision lines up with it. I don't think anything's out of place. I just don't like the theming. Outside of the coins, like killing the players and then bursting into coins and having that coin no noise and then all like sprinkling the floor in the particle effects, like that's cool. But the game show aesthetic was just like a weird theme to go with. And I kind of... I don't know what it would look like in another theme, but I wish it was a different theme, personally. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like I don't care. I feel like it's halfway between a game show and, like, professional sports, right? It's not, like, mm. quite tuned all the way in, in a direction, right? Because, like, like I would have, I would at first question would have said it was, like, you know, pro sports, but you're right. It, it is to also have a little bit of that the game show thing, but it, it it's not, like, it's not, like, like, like uh, you know, Rumbleverse. It's not, like, tuned, turned all the way up to sure. ridiculous levels for humor right like it's it just kind of like normal right like i kind of um, feel like it would have been better if they just went balls to the walls with it like humor galore breaking fourth wall type stuff while in the match yeah. that'd be kind of fun 
I almost wish they went like uh, I, you know, I can't make this reference. I never saw Squid Game, but I want to say Squid Game, right? You know, mm. like a reality show, but like a fucked up reality show. Maybe they can't do that because the movie Gamer. Do you guys remember that movie from like ten no. or fifteen years ago? It's an old Gerard Butler movie. Um, <laughs> it's, an old, it's an old Gerard Butler movie where like it's like the dystopian future where when you're playing a when you're playing a video game you're jacking into the brains of these convicts and actually killing people it is a oh, dog shit movie it's super that bad that sounds and interesting dumb. i'm in <laughs> but like it, it like that is actually kind of an aesthetic i could maybe get behind right yeah yeah, yeah. That, that would be a cool narrative <laughs> on top of it yeah i mean like the, yeah there's there's no lore of the finals right now and that might hurt its long-term prospects i feel yeah. Yeah, but it might also help, right? Like we saw how much like having implied lore that never gets addressed. Yeah, like, people just like even, don't like, care anymore. Watch. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, like just give me a good game. I don't fucking care about your. Story. Yeah, I mean, Overwatch had a lot of lore. It just didn't have story, which I found obviously mm. to be very frustrating, right? Um, it's the same thing with like League of Legends. League of Legends has a lot of lore, right? It just has no story. It never moves anywhere. It never goes forward. It just introduces and introduces and introduces. And uh, did right. you know that they're secretly, you know? Yeah, a man-sized yeah, duck. Anymore, right? <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and they're gonna make their MMO right, and the MMO will probably have like a central story, kind of like WoW, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, also, Project L. But uh, yeah. yeah so do you um, do you think that lore is like required? Like CS:GO doesn't have any lore, right? No. Uh, I guess. Lore? Yeah, I don't Does know. Does what have? Which one you spent? Rocket League. Rocket League oh. doesn't have lore. But like Valorant, Apex, Overwatch, I feel like all of those have lore because they want to sell you things, right? You know, they want to sell you yeah, skins. They want to sell you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you just really forget about Titanfall. Um, oh, rest in, yeah. rest in peace. Yeah. My, my beloved Titanfall. That was a great fucking multiplayer experience. <laughs> that was awesome. I just feel like it's like what type of player they're trying to appeal to. Yeah. And again, it goes to like, what are these fundamental game design decisions that people are making early on in the game's journey? And it's like, well, we don't really want heroes, which that means we don't really need to be in a lore universe. We can just focus on just fundamentals, um, which I, I tend to prefer. I think that's why like something like CSGO has had such massive staying power, even though it's never really gotten behind any of these trends that have emerged over the years. I think they did dabble in a battle royale mode, which like like utter, like failed pretty quickly. Um, but for me, like a, like a person who's going in for a multiplayer competitive FPS, like most of their enjoyment is... I'm mastering a skill and I'm getting better in the game or I'm having this fun strategic team experience with a group of friends and like the lore and I, I will build my own stories with my friends in this game. I don't really care about the external lore. Hmm. Um, at least I, I think that's, I, I feel like that's the wide majority of FPS players. Well, I feel like games like Overwatch, which in my opinion were trying to siphon off and build a hybrid of, what is the player group that likes MOBAs? And maybe they have more of a proclivity to enjoy narrative and, and the aesthetics of the hero and the stories of the hero. Let's bring that into this FPS mold. And I think they got, are like trying to appeal to two types of player experiences, in my opinion. Um, and personally, that's why I never got into Overwatch, because I'm like, that's not why I want to play this game. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. Because uh, I definitely think that that, in general, I think that players say they want this, but they don't, right? Mm -hmm. Players, um, I think, I always think about this in WoW terms, because this is where it always comes up, right? You know, theoretically speaking, if I wanted to, I could design a class 
that plays exactly the same as Arms Warrior does, but they don't have any they don't have any flavor at all, right? They are just class one and they have ability one, ability two, ability three, okay? And you know, when you press ability one, it does this amount of damage and that and that maps onto Mortal Strike in in game. But like at the end of the day, the buttons that you're pushing just you know, they have this mechanical number effect. There's no there's no lore, there's no flavor, there's nothing nothing on top of that, right? Players constantly say that they want this, right? But they mm. also demonstrate that they don't want this. Because part of the fantasy of WoW is I'm playing an arms warrior, so I am a, you know, I'm a brutal, efficient tactician on the battlefield. There is no one who is better at wielding my weapon than me. My whole game plan is around building up for these really devastating hits because I'm, I'm, uh, you know, the best, you know, I'm, I'm just like the best guy with a sword that you could possibly like bring to this fight, right? Mm. Whereas like the lore of like a uh, a berserker, uh, I'm sorry, a fury warrior is like is that of a berserker, right? You are constantly pressing buttons because you know you are on the seat of your pants, just re like relying on your adrenaline and rage to carry you where technique will not, right? And right. I understand that. The two different, those two different flavors of warrior play very differently, and the way that they are designed, you know, on the numbers influence how they feel to play as a person in terms of like in terms of like that kind of fantasy. But I think at the end of the day, I kind of just think the the fantasy in like FPS games is you shoot guys, like you know what I mean. Yeah. Like <laughs> I don't know that anybody needed the fantasy of terrorists. What's the other thing <laughs> in CSGO? Counter-terrorists. Counter-terrorists. Counter 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 I thought it was terrorists and agents or whatever. <laughs> terrorists and counter-terrorists, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, like, I don't think anybody cares about that when it comes, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. When it comes to CSGO. Especially because, um, I don't know, I haven't played enough CSGO to really, like, comment on that stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a certain level of assumption of uh, symmetry, right, that goes, into, that goes into stuff like that where it's not like the terrorists can have, um, I don't know. I don't even know what I would. What people, I, would... I mean, in CS:GO, people didn't care about the theming; they cared about uh, AK versus M4. Like, what? Right, are, what yeah. is the two teams that I have? What are the weapons and abilities granted to them that make the play different? I could care less about the theming. But what's really interesting is the M4 recoil pattern is very different than the AK recoil pattern, and I can one shot with the AK again, one shot. Like all those types of things become more interesting to the player. I feel. Yeah, and that's definitely true, right? And uh, that's definitely true in how we were playing. The finals but it in almost like a team-based way right like it was just about us as a team and right. i liked the version of my build where i was using the recon scan and i could call out targets because i was seeing through walls or whatever versus the version of it where i was playing the heavy and i was just trying to be up front with my shotgun and get my right. four shots off and you know uh not get completely owned or whatever right like that's that, that's another like piece of it but at that point you're just playing team sports right you're not really engaging in a fantasy it's not like you know when you when you're pitching a baseball you're engaging in a fantasy right yeah uh, though i think that there is a level that like that maybe why they went with the theming that they did is that like it's it is it's you're playing team sports and the theme is team sports right, right. like you know it's let's not pretend let's just like make this you're playing a game yeah. it's a game yeah. It's a game show thing. Yeah. Like, like, um, yeah. And you, and you avoid, you avoid like little missteps there, right? Like, because the other thing I was thinking of is that, like, um, movement wise, this game is not like maybe the highest movement game, but it's higher movement than a lot of kind of like, yeah, say COD, um, or uh, a, a lot of the kind of like the slower shooters that, that dominated, say, like the mid aughts. 
I wouldn't quite call it like, you know, like Quake levels, but like it is no. closer, I think, to Quake than it is to, to you know, like um, Halo, maybe. Um, For sure. I mean, on the light class, like your the skill ceiling for movement is very high. When you factor in evasive yeah. dash and you know mo- building momentum off uh, as you're, you're crouch jumping and sliding across things, like it's oh there's god. definitely a lot of play 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 space there. That's like tribes. I I meant yeah, I made this. Oh my god, I love tribes. I loved tribes back in the day. I made this uh, comparison while we were on the call, but I was just thinking because they had you know tribes. You also had uh, light, medium, heavy, right? Right. Um, right. Yeah. 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 But like they were pretty wildly different. The the yeah. light, medium, heavy, and tribes also. Uh, shout out to my 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 old love. Uh, not Avatar, Anthem. <laughs> I also had like light, medium, heavy, and then they also had like fucking caster, right? They had fucking wizard in their game, yeah. basically. <laughs> oh man, no Anthem. Anthem is interesting because it's like there's, there's another game coming out that like looks like it's Anthem. Oh my god, I know. I saw it at the Game Awards, and it has some dumb name. I don't remember any of the fucking names for these games that I saw in the Game Awards. They you know, have... there's only one looter shooter ever worth playing. Is it? Are you say Destiny? Definitely it's the greatest Destiny. of all time. Oh my Destiny. god! Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, my understanding. Everybody out. hates Destiny, right? Destiny, right? The now. Lore is getting wilder and wilder. Is it really? Yeah, they're they're pulling all the rip cords because there's not going to be anybody left to write it by the end of the year. Ooh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can talk I mean, about this in the back half. I actually do want to know expansion. more. Yeah, all, I, I have a couple of friends who play Destiny, and they all tell me that. Um, the lore has the story's gotten really bad <laughs> and that's a lot of why yeah. they're not playing uh the most recent expansions i'd say like the, the 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 overarching narrative and where it's headed is interesting but the like the day-to-day writing and how it's communicated in the most recent expansion was quite poor okay like, they got, like the b or the c team to write the dialogue but <laughs> in terms of the actual like arc of what is happening and what they're trying to move towards and what is that sounds like cosmology uh, of the universe that they're they've built. It's still pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds like uh, the prequels, right? The prequels problem. Uh, you know, I I describe this with we we don't have to talk about this now. I'll I'll come back to this. Let's talk about the finals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Listen, clearly they should add a PVE mode to the finals. Then I would play it so fucking. That's what much. they're missing, dude. <laughs> they need more heroes. They need a PVE mode. <laughs> yeah, they need a really strong IP. They should reach out to the Warhammer people. See if they can find something. <laughs> you know, if there's some space for a for an FPS Warhammer shooter, yeah. PVE shooter. <laughs> and throw a battle royale mode in there too. Yeah, at this rate, it, like. I'm just imagining this game as like a Tau shooter instead of uh, you know, Dark Tide is uh, you know is, is uh, you know the what's it called the uh, Imperial I, Guard. The, Imperial Guard, thank you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, man, um, how how much longer do you expect that you're going to be like into into the finals, Monic? Hard to, I mean, it, they, they really, it seems like they're moving pretty quickly on updates. Like they've mm. already put out, they put a major patch out today that I actually agree with almost all the decisions uh, oh, in that patch. Over them quickly? Because I did not see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I don't have them up right now, but I'll pull them up. But at a, at a high level, what they did was they nerfed some of the, um, nerfed some of the heavy abilities and, and some of the damage soaking stuff that the heavy had, like their mesh shield and their dome shield. Some of the health uh, decreased on those components. They changed some of the one-shot components like C4 um, and the RPG damage and radius of the RPG damage, So, which helps a lot because I feel like at least from a, if you're playing light or even medium at times, like the damage on C4 and RPG is quite significant. 
And then the big one that they changed was how mines work, where now mines have an arming time. Because I feel like a lot of times we'd be approaching a point or leaving a point and people just like tossing gas mines uh, and being hyper-reactive versus kind of being thoughtful and planning out where they want to position the gas mine, how people are going to approach. So I think that was a smart decision. And I think all of it is going is really targeted against making the dominance of heavy less, which I think is good. Because I, I, I think yeah. two heavies and a medium is a very hard comp to beat. Yeah, I mean, it we is. ran into that twice, uh, which right. was really painful. Uh, I so I I agree. That was actually a thing I wanted to talk about was the balance because uh, it's got a very solid shell. But like like I like I said at the beginning, it feels like we're sliding into like a very rigid meta, yeah. which I'm not super happy about. Right. Um. Uh. So like things that'll shake that up, I think are 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 good. Um. But yeah. No. That that those changes make a lot of sense. Making the the heavy less less tanky, and I think I think the RPG change makes a lot of sense because i think ideally one rpg is like basically must take on the heavy right now um and i think the ideal design space for it is remote terrain destruction right exactly yeah i i feel like there should be some hidden modifier where it does like 25 percent damage to players right like maybe if you get somebody down to like one and you snipe them with your rpg i think that's a fair kill right right uh but something in your gadget slot like that it should not be essentially functioning as a second gun kind of right yeah, right. I, 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 I think well, Monix though. I think that's the way to do it, right? It's like if you get a direct hit with it, you can reward the player for that because that's like a, a hard thing to do. It's not a hit scam. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, um, uh, but and like when you hit a wall, right? Like you're you're breaking a section of wall, right? Like you're not really, you know, doing kind of like, um, like the area doesn't actually like the area only matters. Area effect only matters for like damage to players. I, I feel not for like damage to to structures because like you can, like the way the damage model works is you break sections, not exactly like, like actual, it's not like real physics is my point. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so in a nutshell, I mean, I'm hopeful since they're putting out patches pretty frequently that I feel like, you know, I'm worried about burnout cause I'm playing a lot of it. Um, I haven't gotten the feeling yet that I'm getting bored of it yet, just due to the nature of how dynamic the rounds are. And I still haven't unlocked everything. That's another thing. I, I feel like the unlock progression is probably a smidge too slow. Uh, where I put in like a solid, probably, I don't even know, probably 15 plus hours at this point, And I still haven't unlocked everything on light. I've barely touched heavy. Um, so you have to put in a healthy amount of hours to actually unlock play styles, uh, which I think can be a pro and a con depending on the player they're trying to appeal to. But I feel like with a handful of more maps, maybe two other new modes uh, that are as well designed as cash out, like I think it has a pretty decent amount of staying power compared to other games that are out there um, in yep. this design space. I feel like it could it could kind of carve out a piece of the, You know what I mean? Like, I think that um, anytime a shooter comes out, it's just looking to kind of chunk right. 5 or 10% of, like, the addressable market and hold on to hold on to that right and you know you so you have your mainstays it's like csgo valorant overwatch um you know a bunch of the titles that we've like talked about like these are the these are the people who are in in the game 
playing playing what you're like looking for and you're just looking to like can i can i take enough overwatch players who are who are pissed off at blizzard for canceling pve mode or whatever can i right. uh you know can i find enough people who really hate like the current valorant balance changes right right, right, um, right and and get those players to be to be sticky because i feel like uh that's you know that's just like what's what has to happen if you want to f- have a you know successful pvp shooter yeah no, i think you're spot on on that it's like they're not they're not you, you can't really in this space anymore play to win but i think maybe like a decade ago pod was like we are just destroying everything and now there's a lot more pockets i feel yeah because like, like, like it's like all is, go on it's always funny to me because there are some of these games that I hear about and I'm just like, people are still playing that. Like the Battlefront yeah. game, the, the Star Wars Battlefront is like, yeah. yeah, it's still plugging along. It has players. People, <laughs> I guess, like that game. It sounded dog shit to me, uh, but my understanding is that it's a pretty dog shit game. But like, listen, <laughs> if they have their 500,000 players to like justify servers or, you know, good for them. Yeah, I, I think they got rid of the most onerous parts of the monetization of the Battlefront thing, which is why it kind of like rebounded. Mm. Um, but like with cut, I think cut is still pretty dominant. It's just yeah. like you don't you to your point, but you're not, not trying to peel people off of cod because like <laughs> you're not like those games are like big because they're big, right? Like that, like you play it because that's what everybody else plays. And then you can also get like sick KD ratios and do 360 no scopes. Right. Um, which is why skill based matchmaking is such like a controversy in that game. Oh my God. Whereas yeah. like the, the, it, it's actually like it appears that it's the same space, but it's actually the competitive shooter space, which I think Overwatch is failing. Is that the real kind of draw of Overwatch is the is the story stuff that like you know isn't really present in the game, and that none of the players care about, but the fans care about in kind of a mm. desperate way. Um, uh, so you're you're trying to peel people off of Overwatch and CS:GO because it's like you know like because because people are bad at Blizzard, like you said, or you know, out out of the out of the the competitive shooter space, rather than or out of the like tr- when I say competitive, I mean like you know like true competitive space, rather than out of the the, the whole FPS space. The whole FPS space is like actually multiple spaces jammed into one. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I also think that there's this effect of slushing. I think of it as slushing around, like you know, the bottom like bit of a of like soda in a can or something this is how people this is how people play games you slush around right where it's like oh a new game came out me and my friends we're gonna go play that oh the new the new wow patch we're gonna go back to wow oh the new poe season we're gonna go play path you know and it's like it's not that you're specifically targeting certain players and you're holding on to them forever like if there's if there's one thing i like about the overwatch monetization model right i've talked about is the is the way the battle pass works in overwatch Mm. it's super easy to complete and they have these really short you know specific seasons where basically just gives you a really clear concrete goal to to like work towards right and because the seasons are short, it gives them a lot of kind of like recapture room where it's like, okay, every nine weeks we're going to do a new season and we're going to have a new chase thing and we're going to do a big splash. It's going to be all over Twitter for a day. People are going to say, oh, I love Anna. I'm going to get this robot Anna skin, right? They play for a couple of months and right when they're going to get burned out and they're going to hate everything and they're never going to touch a game again, well, something else has come out. They've already got their Anna skin. They're just going to move on, right? And yeah. that player is like a recapturable player. That player is now slushing around, right? Um, and I feel like there are a lot of players who do that for a lot of different games um, and all of us are kind of on that on that boat, right? Uh, you yeah. know, it, it's the kind of thing where... Uh, 
the finals could fall by the wayside, but then a year from now, some patch, some announcement just catches yeah. somebody's eyes and it's like, hey, do you guys want to come back to play the finals? Right. Right. And hopefully they're they're hoping that when people slush back to it, it's like, we got this really nice cosmetic you can buy. It's yeah. really neat. <laughs> and then you can do that thing where you get people to buy the season pass, but then don't right, complete right, right, right. it. Right. You know, like uh, I was I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Um, it was just like, how many times have you bought the season pass for a thing and then not actually yeah. completed it? And it's like, man, I actually have done that a number of times. I did that with Diablo, right? Um, yeah. I told myself I was going to yeah. play the first Diablo season, but really I just burned myself out on the base game and I'll probably go back to Diablo for it. You know, I'm sure I'll go back at some point. One of the seasons will just kind of like pick up. Right. Um, but until then I'm just going to kind of be doing like, like other shit or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is just like maybe this is just live service games as a whole is what we're describing. Yeah. Right. I, I think we're and we are starting to exit the live service game era, and really? like, there are some that'll stick around. Um, I just I just think that like one well, the thing I think that might kick it off more than anything is like the massive success of Baldur's Gate three, right? Like, and you know, and this ties comes along with you know, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven being good finally yeah. right like um, so like the live service like mainstays that like you know sony paying a pretty bit penny for bungie and then then missing revenue targets consistently it's like okay well we thought the live service gravy train was going to continue onwards and it's actually players are souring over it over time oh that's like there's there a limit maybe this is just because i'm have a certain window into the industry uh to me all of this is driven not from kind of the bottom up of player sentiment is driven from the top down of how this funding happens which is Ooh. to say that you know interest rates were really low cash was cheap and if you just kind of needed to keep somebody along it wasn't a huge deal in order to make that happen but now that interest rates are back up again investors get very very spooky and i think that's exactly what happened to bungie right they essentially they they i feel like sony thought hey free money let's buy let's buy this game right yeah and then all of a sudden oh god our debt costs a lot now right this thing has to work right yeah um, i mean they were yeah they, they were willing to pay a premium valuation due to the the macro environment for sure and now they're like, oh, shit, what are we buying? <laughs> I, I think those things go hand in hand, though, because, like, the revenue doesn't stay afloat enough to justify the investment if the players aren't engaging with the live service game, right? Like, yeah. Um, I mean, we, you know, MMOs have a staying power that's great. Like, it's like the only, like, the live service, first live service game, it'll be the first and the last live service game, Um, you know will be World of Warcraft, which is not exactly the first and probably won't be the last. But yeah. like, you know, um, I was having uh, a conversation with a friend of mine where we were talking about what if every game genre was named like Souls-likes or Rogue-likes, right? Where like the one that, uh, you know, MMOs are Ultima-likes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, first, the first live service game is Ultima Online. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, I'm yeah, sorry I interrupted. Like, no, no, no. Uh, you know, it, it's... For whatever reason, the MMOs just like operate on a different set of logic because I guess people aren't invested in things. Um, uh, but like the other live service games were like they were like the MMOification almost of every other genre. But I'm not convinced that people like it as much, or at least not not enough that like it's working right. Like, um, WoW is so big and has so many things that it can keep your attention across a variety of fronts. But like. Destiny is the closest thing. Like I would say, that Destiny is the closest thing that could, that could try to, but I don't think it actually succeeded on that metric. At least not by enough of a, 
uh, enough of a margin to to make it worth it. Right. But, like we've seen so many. Like even even before kind of like rates rates went up, we saw a bunch of these live service games just kind of like start and crash and burn within like a year. Right. Like Rumbleverse. I love Rumbleverse. Right. I played that, that game, game a ton. Yeah. Um, and it just like couldn't sustain itself. Right. Yeah, I mean, same thing. Yeah. We did a whole episode on Outriders, right? The Square Enix Destiny game. Yeah. I like that game. Fair enough. That was pretty fun. We played the whole campaign. I was like, I'm not really looking to do this like end game gearing shit, but maybe I'll come back for future stuff. I'm pretty sure that game is shut down now. Yeah. That makes yeah. Yeah, I think it's also tough because MMOs. I mean, we have talked to it in the back half a couple of times about the third place right thing, where you know people will discover that stupid book. Uh, what is that fucking book called? It's not a stupid book. It's a good book, but they'll discover this book. Um, is it Bowling Alone? Is that the is that the book? Oh, by Robert Putnam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about. Yeah, uh, yeah it's the it's the book about how like nobody has the church that they yeah, go yeah, that's, that's yeah, yeah. Alone. okay yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and and a point that you and i have made on a number of occasions is that essentially we just found this we just made video games this right and i think that this yeah. is the core core what 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 world of warcraft actually sells you in material terms tends to be a third place right it is a it is a, a nexus of con you know congregation where you and your buds can get together for a couple of hours clear some dungeons right where every week at this time of night you show up and you know you get together with a team of 20 people and everyone's laughing and having a good time and you're killing bosses in a raid right and i feel like um because most of these other live service games don't go quite as big as mmos mm. do in terms of the social networking side of the game design right mm -hmm. um for instance in wow think of like the social interactions that you and i have because i like crafting and i put a lot of time and effort into my professions and you can go hey can you craft me this belt and i go sure yeah, send me a work order, and then you do, and then I craft it. And it's like that that kind of stuff, I yeah. feel like WoW has tons of it. And yeah. most other live service games have very, very little of it. It's really just, do you want to get on and play live service game, right? Whereas WoW has all of the other sorts of reasons to, like, yeah. interact. No, I, I think that's actually really important because it also, like, most of the games you have to bring the socialness with you, right? Like, yeah, um, they're, they're matchmaking stuff for destiny but it's only ever like five people right like yeah and they still i mean to this it took them till basically this month to have in-game fire team finding or team finding uh, otherwise you had to look external to the game to actually build your team in any way or, or, or find a team to play with which really i remember in the brief moments i played wow like it was very easy to jump into a dungeon even not playing at the highest level but actually get into play with a group of people to experience that social aspect it was very low friction yeah, I mean, honestly, I got to say, playing Season of Discovery, right, the new version of WoW Classic that has a bunch of changes, runes, abilities, all this other sort of stuff, playing that with a bunch of my friends, right, where we were leveling together, right, we were all, oh, what part of the quest are you on, right, oh, I'm on this one, okay, well, I'll help you do this part of the quest, you'll catch up to me, we'll do these other quests together, oh, are you blacksmithing? Yeah, okay, I'm going to send you these gems that are used in blacksmithing recipes, and you send me all of your cloth because I'm a tailor, right, like, all of that stuff, I think, is... Yeah part and parcel with what with what makes wow such like a i don't know a like a bedrock of kind of social i guess i would call this let's call it social gaming right yeah. um and the stickiness that emerges from that social gaming yeah. is just like what what these games need to sustain if they go down the path of we are going to have a live service of some kind yeah i i do think part of that is like you know the like straight up just the size of rates in wow 
right? Like, it's a thing that it's big enough that you need to find a, probably a group that's, like, relatively dedicated to it. And it's also big enough that, like, if you're a new player, your raid, a raid, any, you know, non-mythic pushing raid can probably absorb a player that doesn't right. really know what they're doing and, like, carry them, mm -hmm. right? And that's fine for the sake of community. And then you can get into that community and you can start playing with those people and, like, you know, basically become friends with those people and, like, engage in that social way. And then you don't cancel your sub because it's like, oh, I want to... You know, say hi to, you know, say hi to Dakota Sean on Tuesday night. Every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It also means that you don't have the same issues. Like, part of this, I think, is that it's like a PvE atmosphere, right? Which changes the, the sort of feeling of it. But there's also this thing of like, oh my god, you're so bad at this game, I never want to play with you again. <laughs> right? Like, that happens in, like, League or something like that, where you're playing and just one person is just fucking feeding. They're so dog shit at the game. You're just like, man, you know what? Let's just not tell so-and-so when we're going to play <laughs> League next time. But you don't really – because the, you know, like a raid side like – The friendship, like that's like keeping secrets and like having, you know – Yeah, and, and, by, and by the way, like, this is not to say that WoW raids – WoW raids obviously have drama. There is a lot of drama yeah, when you get 20 yeah. people together, right? But the individual contribu contribution of a, of a player in a WoW raid is – Ma an order of magnitude smaller, right, um, mm -hmm. than one of three people who are playing on your finals fire team. Um, yeah. And I think that that makes a pretty big difference because, you know what, it means that even if – I'm not going to blow anybody up. I'm name real players. Even <laughs> if I'm doing pretty poorly in the WoW raid, everybody is still happy to have me there even though I'm just tanking the fucking floor for half the night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Some derps talk about wow drama. I'm just gonna start like <laughs> ripping into people in the raid. <laughs> hey man, you know it's uh, what's I like you know I I I can pull that you know that thing right like I I usually damage pretty well, but I also usually end up dying, so I'm I'm not immune from it. But the, we, no, we listen, you're the... you're killing it. Uh, we were uh, I was uh when we were doing Farak last night, there I fucked up my seed the first time. <laughs> Because I thought yeah. I was looking at Farak's tail, and I was looking at his mouth, and he was about to breathe fire on my face. And so the second time I grabbed a seed, I just stood right on top of you because I was like, I trust Mango to have good positioning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, oh, so do what, what? We're a little off of uh, the finals. What? What are your final thoughts on the finals? I guess is really where I want to end things. Monik, you want to go first? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, I think it has real long-term potential. I feel like the folks who made this game knew exactly what makes this game work. And I think they were pretty intentional in a lot of their decisions from time to kill to movement to map design to destructibility. Like, they could have really gone, like, turned on the dial for creative expression more and said, we're not going to only allow destructibility. We allow you to build shit, too, in the environment. And they have some of that with barricades, but they, like introduced constraints in all the right places that I think made it so much more than the parts uh, that it, it, that were brought to the table. So, no, I, I, I'm a huge fan of it. And um, I think it gives folks who like the team play experience something to play with. It. it gives folks like me who kind of enjoy seeing what I can do outside of the meta with like throwing knives, something to play with to get mastery on. Um, so it, it appeals to a lot of these FPI, FPS archetypes and I think it's going to do really well because of that. Because of that. Interesting. Embark yep. Studios is based in Stockholm. Hmm. I've never heard of so these I, guys before. 
I will broadly agree with you, Monik. Um, I think they need to continue iterating, right? Because, like, I think the moment the meta gets stale, I think it's the death knell for the game, right? Like, you know, if we go through, like, six months where, like, you know, there is a... It doesn't... The meta doesn't necessarily need to be ever-changing. It needs to be vibrant enough that there's, like, diverse, viable builds. Yeah. Um, uh, but the moment, like, you know, if this... If the meta that existed yesterday continued for six months, I think it right. would fall off of it quickly. Um, but, you know, you said they're, they're changing stuff. As long as they keep doing that, I think, you know, every once in a while they, they inject a couple new weapons or something right. to keep it fresh. Um, I think that'll... Uh, I, I think that'll give it some staying power. Um, uh, and uh, I... I we have not, none of us, I don't think, have played. Have you played Rank Monic? You're the only one that would have played. No, I haven't played Rank yet. Nope. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just wonder how that is and if that's like, because that, that's got to be like what they're aiming for, right? They're trying right. to do like a, like a shooter League of Legends. And so um, that would be my, that's my only thought is that like, I can see myself getting sweaty, but I could also see myself getting the way I was with League, which is like, I fucking hate this game. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but then you get on uh, on dummy thick heavy boy and get a sledgehammer and run through a wall. Like it's kind of fun, even if we right, lose. right. No, no, there is that. That is, I think, a big part of it. Right? It's like even if you're even when the like the the highs are high, but the lows are not low. Like in league, right. and we, we we talked a little bit about that. Um, but like if I started caring about my ranking, then yeah, that yeah. bring the lows the lows lower. Right? Like there's no ranking in PUBG. Right? You just like drop again and maybe you get a chicken dinner. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, you, buddy? You I uh, I think at, at this stage, listen, at this stage of my life, okay, I'm an old man, okay, I'm an old fogey. I'm just not, I'm not good at these PvP shooters, um, because honestly, I think the thing that is gonna keep me from playing too much more of the finals is short time to kill is real. I'm bad at that. I am not good at aiming my gun, okay, <laughs> um, and. Uh, but at the same time, this is probably the best sort of like PvP experience, like the new PvP experience I've had in quite a long time. Um, outside of maybe Spellbreak, which rest yeah, in peace, that was a lot of fun. I yeah. loved that game. Honestly, I really wish they could have you know made it happen. Um, outside of maybe Spellbreak, I haven't really been uh, kind of captured by the feeling of um, by the feeling of a PvP game in. I don't know, in quite a while. So, I guess that's I you know, I guess that's where I'm I'm ending up when it comes to when it comes to the finals. I wish they had some lore, okay? And I wish that their logo wasn't so dumb. Do you guys ever think of this? Cuz it's just like a it's like a triangle, but it's like an F on its side or whatever. And I was just like, this is the worst. Oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> this is oh, the God, worst. Be... Oh, Jesus. Yeah, right? The name, the finals, like what the, yeah, the name is also <laughs> really dumb and bad. I mean, I, I part of this I think is because I'm a professional and I can't help but think about this stuff. But I just like looked at that logo and I was oh like, God, "Who's fucking right. stupid ass idea it is a triangle was this dumb ass like, sideways no, F logo?" <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Anyway, Mongo, uh, Mongo, uh, Monik, it has yep. been the, the, the two of you are going to fuse like in, like in Dragon Ball Z and create Mongo. Yeah. Really great. Um, it's been a while since you've been on the cast. Tell us about yeah. what, what have you been up to? Good, man. It's been, it's been great. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, the podcast journey with Action and I was always a ton of fun and we always appreciated you guys listening to it. You were like one of our few consistent listeners when we were actually doing it. Uh, and major props to both of you for con continuing with this. Like, it's a pretty big testament to consistency and love of the craft and love for gaming. Like, it's pretty awesome. 
Um, I've been doing good, man. You, you know, just uh, and, sorry. Ten, you love for gaming in a year where we did, were like ten or twelve of our episodes were just Fast and the Furious. <laughs> just <laughs> after we did twenty episodes on like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, that, that's awesome. I mean, my, my favorite cast of you guys are always the end of the year cast. I think, I think oh, one sure. year I submitted like three questions, and I, I like one of my questions was like. Uh, do you believe in love or some 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 deep questions like this? And you guys are like, oh, I'm going to actually answer this. Uh, and the other, I think one other question I had once was, uh, who is the best video game player you know? And Mango said it was me, and that made me all warm and fuzzy inside. Oh, I wonder who I wonder who I would have said. Uh-huh. I don't remember. I don't. I, I never remember any of this shit though. I do love the big anniversary episodes though. Uh, those are yeah, those the, are awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's a good time. So before you were playing the final, this is what I'm interested in. Before you were playing the finals, yeah. what, what what were you playing? Like, what is on your? Yeah, I mean, a, a mix of things. I mean, I I jumped around a lot, so I was uh, playing a lot of automation games. Um, and oh, I like Factorio. Yeah, uh, Factorio likes uh, okay. Factorio, Dyson oh, Program, Atrio, all of these things. Uh, Nova Lands. That was partly because I enjoy those games, but also selfishly. Um, part of what I'm up uh, I'm up to right now in Mango's helping is kind of building an indie game that has automation elements in it. So I want to do kind of research on that. So that was part of my mind show was playing automation games. Then I was playing Baldur's Gate um, and playing a lot of Baldur's Gate. And I've restarted Act 1 like three times at this point and just like finally getting to Act 2. So I'm not that far, but uh, been enjoying that a, a whole lot. Uh, and then outside of that, it was uh, Age of Wonders. I tried that for a little bit of time. Uh, and then Cyberpunk, I beat Phantom Liberty, which was phenomenal. I, I'll stand by. Uh, I'll defend this till death. Like Cyberpunk is a masterpiece. Uh, people will realize in time it got way too much flack when it got released unnecessarily. They will have their moment in the sun, and I think they already are. Um, I love I love Cyberpunk and Phantom Liberty. I think is is truly uh, impressive. I have not um, gone back to the game after after Phantom Liberty, but uh, I don't know. Maybe I should. I I definitely you know it's funny because I think I was talking about the podcast about watching all of the tim rogers reviews again and Mm. uh my second run through i was much more critical of his point of view um because uh i don't know it just it just feels like i think i think the the arguments he was making were just kind of fundamentally poor i felt like i was constantly sitting there in my head poking holes in them and being like that doesn't make sense this is specifically on the cyberpunk interview uh uh well yeah i mean to be fair it was uh, all of the videos were kind of like building towards cyberpunk but yes yeah, the yeah, cyberpunk yeah. video kind of itself right um yeah. i think most games uh have the problems that he was sort of ascribing to cyberpunk in, in the way that we always talk this um water finds a crack is what we call it right um which is just that players just naturally find kind of the most efficient ways for them to um I don't know, build things. And uh, I don't know, maybe maybe in a world where there's a different level of balance compared to what I had sort of experienced, which was, um, I don't even really remember, I wasn't even doing a build that I thought was like all that good. It's just that maybe it's just like the nature of how these, these sorts of games work. I was doing a, I had a katana that was really cool and good. And I just walked at people and slashed them with it, and they would do a lot of damage to me, but I had functionally infinite 
health packs and I just kept yeah. smashing the health pack button and I basically never died because health packs were just draining credits and whenever I needed credits I just like went you know what I mean and I was just like I I, I almost think that's like the wow player in me to be honest um because uh Did when you beat I Cyberpunk? I'm trying to like how far did you get Oh man, I got real close to beating Cyberpunk. Okay. I got to the hotel where you talk to the person. I got past Anico. that. Uh, yeah, Anako. I got to the the float. You. Oh no, that's before. Um, Did you get to the point where it says finish everything because you can't go back from here? Shit. Yeah, that must be where I got. Okay. I think I was supposed because you're going to Arasaka Tower, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. Okay, so I got to that point, and then it said I had to finish everything. No, actually, yes, I did get to that point. But the thing that got me to quit the game, actually, was I was really pissed because I had a conversation with you, Mango, where you told me that you saved the guy's life, and I didn't realize you could do that. I thought it was scripted that he fucking dies. I didn't Wait, realize it guy? was on me. The samurai guy, the the Japanese guy, the who's super guy? cool. I love oh, that. Oh yeah, guy. yeah, you could, yeah, yeah, you could save uh, Takamura. Takamura, yeah. yeah. I just it my boy. didn't even occur to me. Which, to be fair, is my own failing and underestimation of sort of like the RPG-ness of, of cyberpunk. Um, but most it, important question for all these games, I always ask, who did you romance? Well, uh, Pan Am. Uh, yeah. Though I didn't encounter... Meg, are you a Pan Am boy too? I was, yeah. We're all Wait, Pan Am boys. There's only, there's, I thought there's only four romance options, right? Uh, uh, Pan Am, Judy, River, and... It's only three? No. no, there's also because I was oh, gonna Carrie, say Carrie. I would maybe I would maybe romance that like old gay twink uh, rock star because I don't know yeah. that that looked like fun that looked like a good time. I obviously I liked Pan Am quite a bit and she fit really nicely in my like lore, which was like I was one of these. I think they're called the nomads, right? I was like I was like a. I was a I was a nomad, and I like to think of myself as like a like a yeah, tough a biker well. yeah. gang nomad guy who came into the city. You know, like a I don't I don't know why this was just like the lore that I had set for myself. I, I identified less with like the biker aspect from nomad, but more just like off the beaten path, sure. outside of the city, living. You know that 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 whole aesthetic. Um, I don't know compared to like other of these open world. Uh, FPS game, like, you know, action adventure and narrative based games. I don't know what the right terminology is in terms of genre. Like, I look at the next closest thing that was released was maybe Starfield in terms of big AAA release. Yeah. And I feel like the enjoyment I got out of Cyberpunk in terms of a coherent, consistent story experience, uh, even if the choices didn't, you know, matter consistently, was like far more immersive and far more enjoyable than I got out of Starfield. Like, I, I, I think it went down the kind of procedural um, procedural building of game a little too too much without losing like actually just like tell really nice well-built stories in a consolidated environment and, and have an arc there is probably a better player experience uh, that that's my take I think there's a lot of we get I mean it's not a Starfield cast we probably spent a lot of time just on oh Starfield. yeah I mean I, I you know it's funny I said nice things about Starfield and then I just sort of never really picked it up uh I never really picked it up again I just identified really I got really uh fixated on this like pirate system where I was mm. just building my ship out and I was doing all everything was all oriented around my ship I was like oh this is cool I can make a really sweet ship I'm going to do a yeah. bunch of stuff make a lot of money make my ship cool and then I kind of did that and I just like a, a, all of a sudden I had no goal anymore and I fell off the game kind yeah. of entirely I think part of that is an IP problem um, which is essentially what I'm sort of uh, you know uh 
agreeing with you that like so much of it is like procedurally generated kind of like muck that I don't I don't really care. You know, I remember yep. a couple of years ago, and by a couple of years ago, I guess I mean Jesus Christ, ten years ago, um, when No Man's Sky was was yeah, I was about to say like, have you re- revisited that? I um, I actually really vibed with the No Man's Sky, but I vibe with the No right. Man's Sky in a completely opposite way, right? Because I'm not looking for a narrative experience with the No Man's Sky. I'm looking for kind of the just you know the the exploration, running around with my little gun, scanning rocks, all this, you know, all that stuff. Um, yeah. But when no, but I kind of feel like, like that, that that dichotomy is like I feel like Todd Howard and team wanted you to feel like an explorer in Starfield, and had that sense of wonder, and I feel like I got more of that from a No Man's Sky than I got from Starfield. Um, yeah, Starfield's kind of cookie. The problem is, like they nailed it in Skyrim, right? Which is why Skyrim is yeah. still getting you know released today, a thousand more editions forever. Skyrim forever, right? Um, but like Starfield didn't didn't have like because because you can't really like actually just like walk the thing that worked with Skyrim I think is like you know you walk from place A to B and you get distracted along the way and you can't really do that in Starfield, um, which I think is to the game's detriment. Yeah, um, and not just like that you have fast travel, but like there's nothing along the way to distract you and to be interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. At least in the bit I played, because I, I fell off that game hard too. Even though it it, it, it kind of hit me in the kind of like, ah, uh, you know, journey amongst the stars type yeah. stuff. Right. But... Yeah. I mean, there are. There's also. I mean, I also just think that the Elder Scrolls uh, world was much more fun and engaging than yeah. the world of Starfield. I mean, I even recommended on the podcast. I was like, go. The, I I told people. I was like, I was really not connected to this game until I did that like thing where I got recruited into like the Marines or whatever. And when you do that, you go through like an in-universe sort of like history lesson where you learn, oh, these is this is the Freestar, whatever, these are the other guys. And I was just like, okay, I I get it. There this is sort of like the setup. But then I just kept progressing the main story and I never got to a point where the stakes kicked in or like the lore around the universe started to actually get in my brain and i was infected by it i was like yes this is fun i'm really i'm like on board that happened to me instantly in skyrim right you know there's a fucking dragon okay you go down to that first town and he sends you up into the barrow den or whatever opening scene it's like you're you're about to if i remember skyrim like facing an execution yeah big moment happens and what do you do in fucking starfield if i remember Go mine some fucking rocks for 15 minutes. Yeah, and it's and just pick like up a stone. Yeah, it's like this and is... then you know, and, and and it builds on itself really well because you go to that first town, you do you do a couple quests. Okay, I understand questing. Then you go to White Run, and now you're learning all about the politics. Oh, there's yeah. this rebellion. There's the Stormcloaks, right, and right, you know right, they right. want freedom, but they're racist. And then there's the Imperials, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and they want you know I don't know they want to be oppressive, but they're also kind of weirdly egalitarian. And it's just like you know like I I could la- that all of that stuff is texture I can like latch on. Yeah. There's there's just like wasn't enough even space cowboys I love space cowboys but I just couldn't get into um, uh, Starfield on that level and I think the this only is image similar... now is just like that meme of like here we go again I might have to download Skyrim yeah <laughs> I mean the it's funny because I had the same complaint in Fallout 4 right where I talked about Ooh. how how soulless it felt when you got the one guy because you had your like towns or whatever your player built towns which is pretty fun I got into that system but then there was a guy and you'd go to your towns and some guy would say did you hear about some trouble over over this way and it would give you the procedurally generated quest right. and I was like 
kill me. This sucks. Fuck this. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, everything, everything in Skyrim or, or, you know, other stuff, right. You know, like even wow has this feeling, right. It feels handcrafted. Right. Yeah. Um, so even though the world of Azeroth is, is much smaller than the world of Starfield by however many, you know, orders of magnitude um i am much more down to go questing through elwyn forest in season of discovery and essentially treat that as like a 2023 open world rpg um than i am uh i don't know playing playing starfield I, i do think it was almost a technology problem too and i feel like this dream of uh you know procedurally generated world that you can immerse yourself in was limited pretty significantly historically and i think now with whether it be AI content generation, AI AI voice on top of the content that's being generated, um, you know, heuristics on the character with AI. Like, I feel like now that dream of I will have a procedure generated world with procedural quest givers that have their own motives and goals. And that dream of you are literally the first person to experience this. And it's actually really interesting and good is possible. Uh, that, I'm excited about that next generation of RPGs. I feel like that is needs to be the next, you know, next landmark. I feel like we've done all, all that can be done in the current models with like different flavors and theming. Like, yeah, you got your GTA, you got your cyberpunk, like different mixes. But I think the next leap is, I do think Todd's probably right on like the next leap is procedural, but I just don't think the technology was there to get it right. It's oh, interesting. Yeah, with Bethesda too, right? Like Bethesda, like, I don't know. It didn't feel like it's supposed to be like a newish version of their engine, but it didn't feel like it. That's true too. Yeah. Yeah. The load times. No, I actually bet if there was one thing that broke my focus on the game more than any, it's loading screens, right? They're all over there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, that's true. And I, instead of like, I'm playing on a four terabyte solid state disc, right? Like it's not even like, you know, my load times should be relatively super short but it just it gives me 10 seconds to just get distracted by like something else um and it's not that other games don't have load screens right you know Baldur's Gate has has load screens or whatever but Baldur's Gate just had far far fewer of them because you were just like kept in the in the moment in a certain sense I actually think Baldur's Gate is a pretty good um counterpoint to uh the the starfields of you know the world which is to say that like man a huge massively crafted but like very like intricate and meticulously crafted uh, right. rpg has a real space for people and they, and that's the kind of thing that you know they want to sign up for and and uh, and go play even though i am famously on record that i think it's worse than the other crpgs that have been coming out recently i obviously i haven't tried rogue trader yet and we're going to see how rogue trader is but um uh you know kingmaker and wrath of the righteous do a pretty similar thing and i would actually say they do a better job of fulfilling the fantasy that i want them to fulfill which is being able to play D by myself right? yeah <laughs> I, I think like uh, yeah, when I, when I played Wrath of the Righteous, I, I felt like it was a, a, a more. I haven't played a ton of D and D like you guys, but it felt mechanically more of a true simulation of the experience. I play Baldur's Gate for the story and choices, like mm. less less so than the RPG mechanics per se or, or character stat mechanics. A p- part of that is that Wrath of the Righteous is based on Pathfinder, which is a crunchier system than the current edition mm. of D and D. Yeah. Um, I have heard that Rogue Trader is supposed to be neat because it doesn't have some of like the weird crunchiness of Pathfinder money. Um like apparent like I have heard that Wrath of the Righteous and Kingmaker expect you to like pre buff a lot if you're playing on the harder difficulty levels and like there's just that's just like not a thing in the system that Rogue Trader is built in. And yeah. So it's a little bit more approachable for uh for normies. Um 
But yeah, I I really enjoyed the demo I played at Gen Con of Rogue Trader, so I think I'm going to pick that up at some point. Um, yeah, I plan to. And this one also has multiplayer, right? So I think that was the other thing that really that was the other thing that really appealed about Baldur's Gate, right? Like being able to play. Yeah. Um, Essentially, like D and D with your friends, but against kind of the computer, so to speak, right? Um, I loved Wrath of the Righteous, and well, to be fair, I only played Kingmaker. I loved Kingmaker, right? Um, and I got really into that game. Boy, I sank deep into it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think you know a version of things where we're playing Kingmaker, and it's five of us. You know, around around our computers, we're all in Discord voice. We're we're hanging out. We're having a good time. There's no DM, but there, there's kind of the computer, right? And like th that absolutely yeah. appeals to me in you know a lot of ways. Even though it also creates the the thing of oh my god, hurry up, do your turn, so I can spend five seconds clicking on the attack button. <laughs> yeah. Are yeah, there um? Gate soon. Did did you finish Baldur's Gate, Ray Manga? Yes. Yeah, yeah, we did our we did we did our finale episode on it. I didn't I have I have yet to go back and do like, you know, the the epilogue part. I re-downloaded it so I could do the epilogue, but I just haven't gone and done it yet. Um uh but uh I've mostly been playing Street Fighter. Um Oh, interesting. Finals. Nice. Um just cuz like it's it's the, the like I really like Street Fighter. I'm not going to say I don't, but a big part of the benefit of it is is like, you know, I've got 30 minutes i can sit down and play some rounds of street fighter and not worry about like continuity or anything i keep meaning to go back to cyberpunk but it's like ah, i don't have enough time i'm gonna go play some rounds of street fighter yeah. or play a couple rounds of the finals right like yeah, yeah, yeah um yeah. uh but yeah um do we did we want to talk about the bungee stuff at all oh yeah 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 okay where he's left off i was like i pin it i'll talk about it what was the question do you remember uh, so, well, let's 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 say, Monik, you're probably the one of one of us who has played it most recently. Is Destiny good right now, or is it in one of its low low points? I'd know? say objectively, Destiny is the best it's ever been. And, and so, like the criticisms of Destiny have been like in a couple of buckets. Thing one bucket was there's not enough content, or I feel like content is being taken away from me, and that was legitimate. Like I don't know if you know this history, buddy, yeah, but the there's a point in time Destiny they vaulted, yeah, quite quite a significant amount of content that people paid for and a lot of great content uh, that people really loved. Uh, just like straight up vaulted. Uh, they, they they hinted at it and they also gave pretty long advance, but factually it's like tunnel content lost. So there was this big view. It's like, we just lost a ton of content. Destiny does not have enough content to uh, sustain itself. Can I just ask and about think, the mechanics of this? Because I, I, I yeah. know about the phenomenon, but I don't know the specifics. Was that content current content? It was like old raids, right? That... It was all, you know, but it was old raids and old campaigns, too. Okay. So if, if someone wanted, if a new player came in and said, I want to experience a Destiny story, they would be plopped into a story that's been on running, ongoing for six, seven years, and they would not be, be able to experience how the story actually happened in the core campaigns, outside of seasons, outside of all that seasonal Okay, concept. interesting. Uh, so like the Red War campaign and other things like that uh, were... were Revolted, and then also um, the raids. Like for instance, when yes. we played Destiny Two on launch, we did that raid. We did that stupid basketball boss or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, like I wouldn't be able to go back and do that boss today. Yeah. Is would there be any reason for me? So, so, so something changed. So like, so they vaulted a lot of content, and oh, okay. that was a legitimate criticism. To say contents vaulted, contents lost. Can enjoy it. I think fast forward now, you have almost too much content. It's like tons of dungeons, tons of phenomenal raids i think the raid you played buddy is probably the weakest out of the bunch wow um so the raids have 
increase in quality uh, and have everything from like everything from more mechanically complex to just like get in and have fun rates. Uh, same thing on the dungeon side. So content is not a fair criticism anymore. I think there's too much content, quite frankly, in the PVE. PVP, I think, needs more maps, but I think there's they're they're they're, they're delivered on that promise. I think the other big criticism was a lot of quality of life, where it's like. I can't fucking change my loadout effectively in game. I can't find a team in game w well enough. The armor system's kind of confusing. I can't really build craft the way I can in other RPGs because of the limitation of the FPS model and the balancing act that people have to play. And they've solved almost all those. Like quality of life, you can have loadouts. The armor craft system is much stronger. You have real build crafting now, much more so than before, where I feel like before you're hyper-reliant on your weapons you chose and you know who really cares about your armor choices. Uh, and, and now you actually have to make a lot more, uh, you have to be put more thought and decisions you make on, on crafting your armor. So I think build diversity is there now, so that's not a fair criticism. Uh, and then the, 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 the things that were never criticized, which is like the fundamentals, which is like the gunplay feel and mechanics around the ability usage in gunplay is just like un, still unmatched to this day, uh, in, in my opinion. Uh, I think there's games who do movement better. I don't think any game does that like synergy of like recoil gunplay how it feels when you shoot a weapon how it feels when you know, the weapon actually makes impact with an enemy and the enemy reacts to the damage and you know dies or explodes or or, or or so on and so forth at scale that i think destiny still crushes it so all in all i think all the criticisms have been addressed but the feeling of the game the sentiment is probably the worst it's ever been uh and it's it kind of hard to diagnose why that's the case i think it's you know, Bungie's, you know, poor marketing. It's, you know, st you know, streamers and YouTubers looking for clickbait. So, like, negative attention sells more. And I think it's just cascades it from that. so like, much like WoW, to be honest with you, from a couple of yeah, years ago. Yeah, it's like, all right, well, this guy says it's not fun anymore. I guess I don't think it's fun anymore. It's like, it, it, it's more people uh, supplanting their own emotions and feelings about the game with just, like, a, a, an appropriated thing. Um because objectively, I see no reason why pe if people previously liked Destiny, they would not like it even, even more, and the criticisms previously people had are irrelevant now. Uh, I think the writing's gotten a bit worse. But all in all, boys, like if you guys want to play some Destiny, I would play Destiny over any other game <laughs> any day. Uh, it, I love that game so much. Um, uh, so yeah, it's sad to see. I think they've, they really have not managed the community well. Um, uh, they've had some misfires in writing. Uh, they've had some misfires in microtransactions. Um, yeah, I, I, I think with a better communication strategy from Bungie, the sentiment around Destiny would have been would be significantly better because they've done a pretty Herculean effort over the past two three years to make the systems a lot more fun and a lot okay. more engaging. Interesting. So when it comes to too much content, does that mean that there are old raids that are considered current content? Like I could go to that raid from destiny 2's launch and get yeah. gear wow so that what they is... do is they rotate they rotate raids every week oh. and so they have legacy raids rotating and you can play the legacy raids and get powerful gear in those legacy raids alongside the current raid that's happening in the current dungeon that's happening uh so they're rotating all, a lot of this content weekly so it keeps things fresh like oh i haven't played crota's end in years i think i'll play that uh, i'm gonna play king's fall which is huge which is like the famous raid from destiny one which is Truly, in my opinion, one of my favorite gaming experiences of all time was the first time I played King's Fall um, in Destiny 1, and they brought it back in Destiny 2, and it's just as, just as great. So, yeah, so they've done those types of things to keep the content pretty fresh. Do, that's so crazy to me. 
is there just an expectation that players understand these these raids instinctively i get like w- because they they're classics or w- i wonder have they ever talked about the thought process that that's it's yeah. wild to me that you well, so rotate in play... raids weekly yeah, yeah yeah and you can choose right you can choose which one you want to play but but they have a fire team finder and part of that fire team finder experience is the concept of a sherpa uh so you can kind of register yourself as i'm a sherpa for xyz raid and you can do a sherpa run raid or just a normal raid where you match with people or of course you know, build your own fire team externally to Destiny. Uh, but now you have this kind of safe, controlled environment of a Sherpa raid where someone is guiding you through the mechanics and you, you can go experience this really cool piece of FPS content that you know, I don't think many other FPSs have really been able to crack the nut of raid in that type of um, um, genre well, like Destiny has. Like, it's still sure. uniquely singular as raid experience in an FPS. God, that is so wild. Because, you know, like, WoW raids are built entirely orthogonal to this, right? A WoW raid is built to be a project that you and your group of friends progressively tackle over the course of months, right? You know, mm. we have just started, oh, you know, because you yeah. do it on normal, right? And then you do right. it on heroic. And the goal for a lot of people is called AOTC, ahead of the curve, um, which is to kill the final raid boss on heroic. And that is expected as a, like, week 12 to week uh, 30, you know, right. like like a goal for for a lot of guilds, right? We got our ahead of the curve last season, um, a couple of weeks, maybe like four or five weeks before the season ended. And a WoW season is like five or six months long, right? Yeah. Uh, because the idea is you build your gear so slowly, right? right. Um, you know, you get you get uh, at a certain point, you're you are fighting for individual I love like item levels, right? Right. right. Um, you're fighting for individual item levels. You're fighting for an item that is the same eye level, but that has better secondary stats, right? So, like, I know that my secondary stats are haste yeah. mastery or crit haste or something, and um, and so I opt against, to- against the, the other players you're playing with, right? In Destiny, everybody gets a piece of gear, right? We, yeah, that's everyone how... gets a, uh, on each encounter with raid. Yeah, and you you do have that part of system too. You have two tiers of raids. You can play it normal. You can play it. Uh, I think it's called legendary. I forget the terminology they use. And in that, you do have to make sure your gear is basically pinnacled out. You know, fully infused. Like you have to grind for that. I don't think the timeline is as long as what you're saying for WoW is. Where I think like people can get raid ready for legendary within like a month and a half of this raid's release. Um, maybe even shorter people are really grinding it. But in that model, it's like, it's not only light level grind, but it's also very specific bills that you have to choose to survive these encounters effectively. Uh, They they definitely dial up the difficulty where the expectation is people who complete these, uh, you know, legendary raids um, have to be kind of pretty disciplined about what they're doing and commit. That's that's wild to me. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and then the which other thing before, is before they did not have that either. Yeah, and then the other thing is that is Mythic Plus, right? Um, which is that every season you get a new set of dungeons, but that set of dungeons are the same dungeons for a whole season, right? So mm-hmm. you know, right now we have six dungeons from like war, like, like the past of World of Warcraft that have been brought to the the, the present, and then two very recent dungeons. Um, and you know that that Mythic Plus is it's timed, and you know when you time it, you you increase your key level, and there's a bunch of cool stuff that you can like do with that, and all all of that sort of sort of thing. But like all of this stuff, all the all of this stuff in WoW systems is built towards long term 
kind of mechanical mastery of very particular fights, right? And you yeah. get that feeling of, boy, when we fought Smolderon on week whatever, he was real hard. But now when we get to Smolderon, we just like absolutely trounce this guy, right? And yeah. it's like, that's the, you know, that's the kind of satisfaction. Or when I'm doing Atal Dazar on a 14 at the beginning of the season, you know, like a plus 14 key at the beginning of the season, it is the hardest dungeon I've ever done in my life, but now I can time it on an 18 without any issue, right? Um, yeah. And That's we're good. just like slowly climbing these these gear levels week over week over week. Um, yeah. It is wild to me that every week the raids in Destiny change because like the that long term progression I think is the thing that that WoW is is probably geared for and looking for. Um, yeah. And uh, it's it's my you know it's my obvious comparison point for for raiding but also at the same time yeah. i almost sort of wondered like destiny raids because there's no tank healer you right. know ranged or melee dps right there isn't that same sort of like i don't know is there is there like a team sports nature to it like there i mean you do have a little bit more build crafting and they're trying to make folks like the warlock be a more of a support class they can build into more of a support role um and of course, Titan can build into more of a tank role, but the, the roles are never as clearly defined, um, and there's still a ton of overlap. Uh, where I think in other other RPGs, like you can you, you know, hard commit to a healer doesn't really exist in th the Destiny world. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's no tank, right? Like, how does right. aggro work? Does it just do damage? Does do these bosses just fight so, people? Yeah, you can basically people can pull aggro from a boss based on kind of the visual of the boss and, and certain boss mechanics, but that can be anyone. Um, but titans can be serve as a heavy because they uh, or or a tank because they can place a barricade um, in front of them and they have some other abilities that blockade like their super that you know, builds a defensive bubble dome shield around them that other players can enter. So there are abilities that lend themselves to the classical, you know, tank support, you know, offense type of classes. But um, it's not, it's not like you slot into that in advance of the raid. I mean, there's some people who discuss that and plan that out and they do in the legendary amounts, but it's definitely, a, I, I think, a, a pro and a con for the game. Yeah. I kind of like that they don't have those hard role, uh, roles, but... I can see how that changes where you don't feel as connected to your character if you haven't really put in the effort and earned it, you know, and earned playing that role. It, it's also interesting because, like, you know, for instance, right now for one raid, I am a melee DPS, right? And so my job is wildly different than in the other raid where I'm a healer, right? Mm. And my job is keeping everybody you know, uh, keeping everybody alive. I'm just clicking on health bars. Okay. That's all, that's all we're doing. But it just like, it completely changes the way that I interface with the raid, um, right. which uh, has actually made me like really enjoy the current sort of iteration of wow that, um, that I've been going into. Anyway, I'm sorry for grilling you on these fucking mechanics. That's, no, it's good. crazy. I'm super interested, I guess. Um, no, are what too, I was going to say, it's interesting too. Cause like, one of the other things is like, you know, something we do in raid is like we do logs and we see how we're doing compared to ourselves, right? To like the wider community and to like the other people on our team. Um, and like that, I feel like just doesn't exist in Destiny, right? No, like, not at all. Yeah. Um, and so like it, it, it's harder to like, like your raid group, I guess, can get the mastery feeling. Like I know that when we've played like first after the first couple times we clear the raid, it's actually pretty simple to clear it past that. Um, uh, but there's no like sense of, this is a progression in, in, in that sense, right? Just yeah, that's true. Your number go up, um, as it were. But uh, sorry, buddy, you were going to say? 
I'm just I, I'm interested. Um, do you think uh, are they are they going to get the I don't know. Are they going to get the community back on track? Like, what is the what is the strategy that you've seen from Budgie recently outside of just get really crazy articles written about the I know, right? stuff? Well, I mean, I feel like team morale is probably really bad right now. So I feel yeah. like it's going to be like internally in that studio. It's probably pretty tough to get any great work done. So hopefully they pull it off because I care. I care about the stuff they make. Um, but I feel like final shape. They've been cooking it for a long time. They just delayed it. Um, to I think June from February, so a few more months. Wow. Uh, and uh, I mean, they really have to nail that. We're talking about a ten-year-long saga that's coming to a conclusion, uh, narratively, and and I think if they nail that, then I think people will be back on the Destiny bandwagon for a bit of time, uh, and are, will be excited what they do with the franchise coming forward. Because I still think there's an anime series in the works. Like, I think they're trying to plan out like. What does the next decade of Destiny look like? And I think that only will be viable if Final Shape is truly, uh, you know, a critical success. I think they can. Like, I, I, you know, Bungie, uh, I think they can definitely pull something like that off because they keep they keep learning. And I feel like a lot of the heavy lifting of fixing some fundamentals of the game have happened over the past two, three years where they can get back to, let's build a really great story and experience around that and you know, get players happy versus I feel like their teams were so split on reacting to player sentiment, also trying to build a story at the same time, also trying to fix these old systems that have been in place in the game for like four or five years where they couldn't just focus on uh, what matters most. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. But people were saying the ex- my words were the exact same words I would say like a year and a half ago when uh, the uh, Lightfall came out, and Lightfall was a pretty big disappointment. Wow, really? Okay, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I get that. The, you know, uh, the funny thing is, it, I we just watched like a huge cycle of this happen in, in WoW. I think, honestly, a lot of it is, the, the thing that resonates with me most about that is the way in which it is the best the game has ever been and still people are complaining, which I right. think is a, I, I almost want to call it recency bias. It's not quite recency bias. It is the, it is um, kind of inertial bias, right? People don't calibrate their, their feelings towards how things were, right? They're not looking at it that way. They're thinking about the pain points as they are now. So yeah. when WoW makes a bunch of iterative changes again and again and again and again and again, and there's there's honestly kind of more to this that I think could be a whole podcast episode about how like yeah. bad luck protection systems work when it comes to like loot and, and how people engage with power progressions in, in, in the game. Um, but uh, if that's the stuff that, that matters, right? It's not that this is the best the game has ever been. It's these pain points are the most annoying they have ever been. And I don't quite care about any of the good stuff to have that overwhelm my feeling of raw annoyance. Uh, as well as all the other stuff you were mentioning, right? Like clickbait YouTubers yeah. who, you know, make shitty right. videos just to, you know, whatever. I mean, all that stuff is that stuff, right? I mean, it's, a, it's a, another conversation we can have is just like, how does a studio operate in this environment where like the default mode setting of a gamer is criticism and negativity? No matter, it's like damned if you damned if you don't. I can't think of any real franchises where the sentiment is like consistently glowing. 
Uh, maybe it's just more reflective of our the current time we're in. Have but, you never met uh, Final Fantasy XIV? <laughs> Critically acclaimed, whatever, the <laughs> copypasta expansion? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I think the only, like, studio I feel like that has that type of rabbit following in the positive direction is maybe, like, a Kojima. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe, he gets black too, but... I also sort of wonder if it's, like, a games is some sort of thing, right? Um, that, you know the process of steering such a huge ship all the time um, for any of these any of these games means that you're just never really agile enough to always appeal to and capture the audience of your player because because right. part of part of the is you always have to be taking bets you know is this next hearthstone expansion going to be fun is this next TFT set going to be fun? Is this next season of League of Legends going to be fun? It's like you are you are uh, adding new things to draw players in to keep them engaged because you don't want to just give them the same content over and over again. That makes things stale and repetitive and it makes players churn, right? Yeah. But when you do that, you necessarily have to just sort of, you know, place your bet on, I think it will be cool if... I, I don't know what's uh, some like dog shit mechanic that got introduced to a game and then immediately got <laughs> patched out. How many times have I seen that happen in you know yeah. like in any of these live service uh, in any of these live service titles? Yeah, and this is the thing we've we've also talked about, which is like you know there's some aspect of this that's like you know people have preferences and those preferences aren't always like you know it's not like objectively bad. It's that some people prefer it one way. And some people prefer another. And when you make a choice in one direction, you alienate the other, you know, piece of the audience. That's and true. If you swing back in that direction, you 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 alienate the first set of people. So. Honestly, I felt very alienated by a lot of what's going on in Dragonflight because I was a player who really engaged. Like Shadowlands and Battle for Azeroth were my expansions. I loved those expansions. I played so Ooh. much WoW. Right. I have played comparatively much less WoW in Dragonflight, and I think it's because fundamentally, at the end of the day, right, the developers are responding to the complaints of those players, and they are not responding to essentially the compliments of a player like me. Not that those things are all that common. Right. Um, you know, and uh, and that's, you know, that's OK. That happens. Sometimes you just get outvoted by the community and you, you kind of have to you kind of have to live with it. Yeah. yeah. OK, well, well, you know, uh, yeah, uh, I think I'll wrap it up then. If uh, you'd like to email us about any of the things we talked about on this podcast, you can email us at beersplaygames.gmail.com or podcast at beersplaygames.com. You can follow us on twitch.tv slash beersplaygames where these go out live that are YouTube, YouTube.com youtube.com slash that's some games um rate review us on itunes wherever you find a podcast uh everything else is down in the description uh monic where do you want to uh to point people if you want to uh them? nowhere right now uh I have, I have no social media presence whatsoever really you're uh, off twitter uh well actually i have a tw i mean i i look at memes on on x slash twitter send me stuff uh so i, I do i do occasionally doom scroll on twitter um <laughs> uh, you know, connect with me on linkedin y'all that's where i'm at <laughs> <laughs> oh my god LinkedIn Holy shit. yeah now. you know okay <laughs> <laughs> Uh, buddy, you have anything you're looking to promote? Uh, you know, I have nothing that I'm looking to promote. Did, did you guys drop a trailer or something for like the? That's true for the horror games or I actually have two things to promote. One 
for the Horror Games Award, our um, our uh, new game. Sorry, we're closed. It's very gay. That's what I always tell people. I say this game. This game is super, is super gay, which I really appreciate about it. Um, it's a it is a survival horror game in the kind of nostalgic PS One Resident Evil era. We dropped a new trailer for that, and then we also dropped a new story uh, deep dive narrated by me for Ooh. oh for our game Ever After Falls, uh, which is coming out in early 2024, which I'm obviously nice. also very fucking excited about um so yeah i will promo those two things man thank you for the reminder <laughs> welcome uh well with that then i'm going to say uh until next time dear listeners until next time loyal listeners <laughs>